Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host with me as my partner today, flying as co-captain or, well, let's see, first officer. Well, uh, I don't know what we'll call him. It's Cody Bondicue. How are you doing, Cody? <laughs> hey, hey, Internet. I'm doing well. Happy to be home. Yeah, you. today's the first day for what it's worth. I'm here in the Portland area and and over the past couple of weeks, it's gotten colder. I'm having to actually use my space heater in my office and it sucks. Ooh. I want warm weather. Don't drag me into <laughs> fall kicking and screaming it. And yeah. last year was awesome around here because it was really warm to the end of October and now it's getting cold already. Yeah, so. I actually had to put pants on this morning, so I feel your pain. Oh, yeah, me too. Sweat <laughs> and a sweatshirt. It's like, ah. Anyway, enough yeah. about that. Our special guest today is Mr. Alexander Gekov. How are you doing, Alex? Hey, thank you. I'm doing well. And uh, enhancing our reputation as a worldwide podcast. Alex is coming to us from, I believe, Bulgaria, correct? Yes. All right. So before we dive into the topic and Alex's deep knowledge of you and Nuxt, uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, Alex? Um, your development history and how you got into viewing next and why people should give you money and so on. Okay. Yeah. So, um, now it's September. I, I've actually turned 23 this month. Uh, and I actually, uh, graduated from university in, in July, but, um, yeah, usually I, maybe I can start from earlier when I decided to actually like, study computer science and so on basically um like i've always always been kind of interested in computers um you know uh started off as like a script kitty running some scripts <laughs> hacking some online games and then at some point i didn't know what to do um uh, what to study uh and i decided that uh, i'd just go with this um and then I decided to actually uh, study it in the Netherlands. Uh, so I studied there the last four years. And um, yeah, my professional experience, uh, I started on the second year uh, working for a biotech company. Um, and there we did uh, yeah, view and mapping and then a lot of interesting just to, yeah, uh, we won't mention how old it makes me feel that I started in web development <laughs> before he was born for the IT industry, but uh, that's okay. We won't Back talk in about that. HTML one or something like that. <laughs> I think it was HTML point five. Oh, nice. you know, not Windows three, <laughs> Windows three point one. No, I kid you not. Windows three point one. Uh, if you yeah, if you really want to go back in history, if you've ever seen. The original IBM PC uh, that had the green screen and the commercials were really famous uh, because IBM would use a little Charlie Chaplin type character, you know, <laughs> as I was kicking up his heels at the end. My dad had one of those. He started doing some software development in the early, like 1980, 81 years. I can still remember him bringing it home and typing on the green screen, <laughs> but uh, uh, I didn't get into the IT stuff till 95, mid nineties, but still that's uh, Anyway, enough about my age. I, I'm um, curious. I'm curious. I have a question, actually. Um, you said you were a script kitty. What games were you were you hacking? What What were you doing? Um, well, it started with like uh, 
simple flash games, then uh, nice. uh, League of Legends, <laughs> and yep. uh, yeah. And so like doing cheats, cheat codes to make you be able to do special stuff that nobody else could do type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was pretty fun. Uh, even though, uh, yeah, I, obviously I got banned at some point. <laughs> uh, you live and you learn. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. That's um, I, that's what got me into programming as well, is I would write bots for a video game called RuneScape, if you're familiar. It's yeah, this yeah, funny yeah. little game. You just chop trees and stuff. And <laughs> turns out it's very easy to play programmatically. And that's broke my gut. Yeah, it's actually nice mode. because a, a lot of... Um, a lot of people actually uh, get their interest from like stuff like this. Yep. Yeah. Now, um, especially with AI technology, you can build bots that are better than their anti-hack system, their anti-botting systems. Like yeah. AI bots <laughs> are taking over video games. It's, it's amazing. Um, but sure. So so you're doing. Um, you're working at you said a biotech company. You're doing mapping. Are you are you mapping um, tree? What what sort of things are you mapping? Yeah, so um, I actually worked there until uh, until this month. Um, but what we were doing there, we were basically so we had some microscopes uh, which had uh, like automated um, image taking, uh, and then we analyzed those images with uh, some uh machine learning and at the end we had to display these images in some sort of map on the web portal uh and these were like really big images like um 20,000 by 20,000 pixels so uh it was um yeah very interesting how we managed to actually integrate the zooming and seeing all the little like microscopic level uh of details in, in the cells. So, okay, so when you're talking about mapping, you're not talking about geographic mapping where, you know, a map of the earth or a map, a road map or a street map or some topographic, you're talking about mapping out a an organism? Is that, am I understanding it correctly or displaying it? Or what do you mean by mapping in that case? Um, yeah, basically what, what you mentioned, like it's still a map. Uh, it has all the functionality of a map. It's just that it's uh, not a geographic one. Um, and uh, actually, yeah, my talk at the uh, at the View Summit, it was actually I wanted to kind of focus on that part, um, just to try to bring awareness that mapping is not um, only geographical, uh, as as it is in most cases, but you can map a lot of things. Uh, and this is one interesting use case, like the bio- biological use case, where you can uh, map uh, the, these images of cells to um, something that the user can experience in, in like a map. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, people talk about mind mapping. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, where you're trying to map out a process or, you know, just figure out your thought process on something. I don't think people have ever tried to do that with my mind because then they'd be run off screaming and yelling. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Now, have you ever done with your uh, the video? We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's from uh, the was it View Global View Global Summit. Yeah. Um, 
Have you done geographic mapping as well, like streets and roads and or topographic or anything like that? Um, yeah, I've had like uh, only inside projects though, but um, I can tell about uh, one use case uh, from university actually. Um, we a couple of friends we gathered and we uh, decided to make like um, an application where you can take like walking meetings. So you don't sit uh, stationary and you just uh, go for a walk. Mm. And uh, the application basically was uh, keeping uh, like uh, transcribing uh, from voice to text the notes and also um, creating like uh, routes for the map so that you, you don't have to think about where you're going. Let's say you just say you're going on a 15 minute meeting and it makes like the route for it, which will take 15 minutes. Oh, cool. Have you ever used uh, like Mapbox or any other for generating your, your tiles and stuff like that? Um, yeah, I've tried it. Um, but uh, most of the time I used uh, OpenStreetMaps, I think. OpenStreetMaps, right. The, yeah, or just the Google uh, one. Yeah, I can remember back in, I don't remember what year it was. I want to say 2010, I started seeing this stuff coming into the Drupal world. And the company that makes Mapbox uh, was called Development Seed, and they used to be the development shop. And then they switched over to doing mapping full time. And so Mapbox is their thing now. And I remember reading about Leaflet and sort of playing with it. But uh, that was before jQuery and, uh, and everything was server side. Yeah. So it was a lot harder. So now it's certain, I, I'm tempted to play with Leaflet again just to see what I can come up with and OpenStreetMap for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very approachable API. Uh, it's incredibly well documented, very accessible. It's not too difficult to just plot anything you want. You're talking uh, about OpenStreetMap. Open well, so OpenStreetMap provides the tiles. Right. To whereas Leaflet is um, like the API that it, uh, interacts with the tiles, I guess. Like it, I believe Leaflet manages like the zooming in and zooming out functionality. Because okay. um, it's a know, JavaScript it's, library, right? Leaflet. Yeah. Yes, I think. Yep. Yeah. And then whereas like OpenStreetMaps just provides these tiles for free, um, you just have to give you know credit. Whereas Google um, also provides the tiles, but they also provide the API. Um, but it's very expensive. Yeah, uh, Google, they want to Google charge Maps. an arm and a leg. That's for sure. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah that's like one, a renowned API that that's very expensive. Um, I think if you use it in dev mode, uh, uh, it's fine. But otherwise, you get like a pop up that okay, this is not uh, you need to pay for this. So yep. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to say Uber originally used Google Maps, but I think they all ended up building out their own solutions. Um, I could be wrong there. Maybe that's something they're working towards. Uh, but, um, but yeah, other than that, it's, yeah, Leaflet, OpenStreetMaps is very approachable. Um, I, I'm curious, how did you solve the problem? You said you, in this app you're talking about, you would um, say I, I was going to take a 15-minute meeting, right? And so I want to do a 15-minute walk. How did you generate that 15 minute walk? Um, it was yes, it random? So, was there 
um, we kind of like uh, uh, kind of uh, made it work in a hacky way. So l- let's say we presented it in university. In university, so we just uh, gathered um, like uh, from uh, manually with some uh, aut- automation different routes based on uh, okay this is uh, five minutes this is ten minutes and so on so we had like a big uh, list of data of uh, routes near university so technically it would not work anywhere on the map but okay, it was okay. good enough <laughs> so <clears throat> so you were saying <clears throat> five minute walk and you always provided the same five minute route outside of your university. But here, me in Hawaii, I can't use this app and say, I want to take a 20-minute walk and you'll generate a 20-minute yeah. route. I, I will assume that it's possible, um, but I, I haven't like really looked into it. Uh, yeah. How exactly? Yeah, that, that kind of gives me that... Um, what is that? The uh, I can't think of the word right now, but it's that kind of famous algorithm, the, the traveling salesman. That kind of gives me like yeah. the traveling salesman vibes of uh, just like infinite possibilities um, or yeah. very infinite. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Is there is there any um, any other APIs, any other areas of web that's really um, exciting you right now? Um, well, right now, uh, mm, let me also mention uh, the company that I switched to now. Uh, because it's actually also tied kind of with mapping. Uh, so um, the company now that I'm working at now is called... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I should mention it or it's fine. Oh, no, you told, I mean, unless you don't want to. No, I know yeah. it's fine. So it's called yeah. uh, Office R&D. And basically we offer, offer like a booking of uh, rooms and desks and... Uh, yeah, for flexible workspaces. So we also kind uh, kind of have a map where you can uh, view your office and your colleagues and also book meeting rooms and so on. Okay, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. You're also, I imagine, using Leaflet to map like layers yeah. of the, like different floors, different layers within the, the buildings that you're managing. Yeah, yeah. As well, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, it was so a it's a nice transition. Yeah, it's it's kind of perfect. That's I know a colleague of mine. I work at an agency, and so we're all on different projects. But that's one of the projects they were working on was um, was very similar of like interactive maps within layers of a um, like an office building, and so you can kind of I think like drag and drop like you know if you want this table in this room or. You know, and it's all yeah. based on specific dimensions, uh, which which kind of sounds, which is interesting. And, it, and I'm curious, um, there's so many little things you can work on that could be difficult. And um, like, how is there, are you manually inputting these data and crafting these maps? Or is that like a programmatic, is there a programmatic approach to generating them? Um, um, yeah, well, uh, at the, the current company, we have like, Something like a C- custom CMS, where we can actually put the data, uh, like anybody from the company, and then uh, it will populate the map. Uh, so we basically generate these um, components with the coordinates 
also different uh, we have like different uh, coordinate systems for various use cases um, but basically yeah we get the data from uh, from the API and then uh, transform it into so that we can display it on the map uh, and in in the last company uh, the biotech company uh, yeah speaking of uh, complexity um, one of the most actually like uh, complex stuff that I had to do was also integrate the leaflet uh, map with the cells with uh, WebGL. And uh, I don't know if you're uh, yeah, fans of WebGL, but it's really hard to debug it, uh, especially when it's combined with something else. So we basically needed WebGL so that we can showcase some fluorescent uh, capabilities of the cells which the camera can capture. And we had these, like, uh, you can imagine some filters uh, that manipulated the shaders in real time. So that was really beneficial for the uh, end users, but it was really, really hard to implement. And uh, were you using this for, like, a three, three-dimensional um, shading of the, these cells that you were looking at? Um, no, no, no. Uh, just a 2D shading for like various uh, substances within the cells. Nice. Um, yeah. When I when I hear WebGL, I think 3JS because I believe 3JS is built through WebGL. But that yeah, that's yeah. that's not an area I have much experience with because it is very complicated, very math heavy. From from what I've true, seen. yeah, yeah. So hopefully, quick, I didn't have do- to do any 3D, but yeah. Yeah, in order to find what WebGL is, for those of us who I had to type in what is WebGL real quick because I forgot I haven't <laughs> used it before. Uh, yeah, so WebGL is a web graphics library, and uh, it uses uh, GLCL uh, files, which are the shaders. And as uh, yeah, Cody mentioned, it relies a lot on like uh, geometry and mathematics and other stuff to actually create these shaders on on some object so that it can also be 3D, uh, which is all the fancy stuff that we see. Um, I think uh, Alvaro, uh, he's working on a, yeah, he's working on a library for Vue that uh, makes it easy to handle uh, 3GS. Uh, but uh, for my use case, I just use it for like 2D generation of uh, shaders. Ooh, and we're going to be talking to Alvaro, Alvaro Saborito. Is that who you're talking about? Yes. Yep. yes. Yeah, we're going to be talking to him here in a few weeks. So that'll be something yeah, to talk to him about. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, and I'm curious, I don't know why, uh, and I'm curious if you know the answer to this, like why we rely on such a, a complex API to do these things. Um, is it just very complex? Is it just very... It, is that something we just can't do in Canvas or, or some other defined API? I, I guess that's just the place where we solve that problem. Um, yeah, I think um, like uh, at some point from now, uh, the web GPU uh, API is going to be released to browsers. So then maybe we'll see some new things forming. But uh, until then, I think... Uh, yeah, this is like the most common uh, way to do it if you need 3D. 
Cool. And and what is the uh, WebGPU API? Um, yeah, so I think it's just a an, uh, better way to utilize the your uh, laptop or PC's uh, graphics card to uh, in the browser. So basically, it will make things uh, faster, and you can probably use some native uh, APIs that will probably help with, uh, yeah, with uh, um, with shaders and uh, 3D. I think it will also like enable some uh, more hardcore gaming in the browser, which also sounds nice. nice. I haven't. I I looked at it some time ago, but uh, haven't kept up to date. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here, and that's one of the first lines. WebGPU is the successor of WebGL, providing better compatibility with modern GPUs. Oh, that's cool. Maybe that'll give us more like. Um, browser-based uh, AI model integration as well um, for like local first chat GPT clients or something, something crazy. But I have to admit, yeah. that's not my specialty. I don't get too deep into the zeros and ones. Yeah, no, not, not me as well. Yeah. Uh, ah, but that's cool. So is this uh, something you, you looked at, you have you always believed like you were going to become like a math guy? Like this is where your um, your career is taking no, you? No, not not really. Like even at this point, I don't consider myself like uh, like tightly specializing in that area. Uh, actually, um, yeah, for the past few weeks, I had uh, a few things going around. Like um, so, I moved back to Bulgaria, obviously, uh, and. Uh, another reason that I, I kind of uh, haven't uploaded recently is uh, because um, with uh, some friends, we're building like a startup. Um, and we are using, of course, Vue and Next. Um, but basically, we're just uh, experimenting with ways we can uh, create a, a successful SaaS product in the, in the HR uh, Field. So that uh, has been like occupying my mind recently. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I will. Um, I have a few ideas on content that I would like to soon uh, realize. Uh, yeah, that's how I found you. Definitely, I'm a big fan of like, your YouTube videos. You're, you're really great at, at um, teaching. Oh, thanks. Um, I mean, I started it off as an experiment, um, but I definitely want to like, I don't want to leave it behind. Maybe um, I just need to find my own rhythm. Uh, maybe not upload uh, every week, but every other week or something or once a month. Sure. To just keep keep the consistency. Sure. Now, looking at your YouTube channel and then your own uh website, your blog at alexandergetkov.com. Um, looks like you like to use Next 3. You've got a couple uh, posts on intro to Next 3 and and uh, building uh, with Next 3 and Storyblock. So I'm just curious, uh, from your 
do you use both view and next or do you primarily use one or the other depending on is it just depending on the use case or what's your your usage of of those uh yeah so i've been uh, using um next um uh, in most cases uh i think uh, we had a, a project in the last company where we didn't incorporate next but um yeah, for me, like there's no reason not to go with Nuxt most of the time, because even if you don't utilize the uh, server side rendering, it still gives your application a lot of structure, uh, and you can like do things quite fast. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't see any reason for uh, unless it's something that you really want to drive out fast, then you don't need to sp- uh, like scaffold a whole next application but um if you're building something then i think it's uh, very nice uh, to use next yeah i mean for what it's worth my uh claim to fame that really rocketed me into stardom was when i did an uh an intro to next video course for view mastery and ever since then i've been having to fight off the autograph seekers it's been crazy <laughs> but uh just kidding but uh, yeah, we've had uh, we had Dan Rowe on two or three times here recently to talk about Nuxt and everything that's coming in Nuxt and uh, a couple other people. So yeah, there's a crazy amount of stuff happening in the Nuxt ecosystem and new and new and fancy things uh, for sure. For I, sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm kind of along the same lines as you, Alex. Like I struggle to find a use case for just pure view. Um, like you said, like Nuxt, it, it solves many of the problems. And I, I think, I think like I was a big fan of Nuxt 2. And uh, the, the move to Nuxt 3 was pretty, pretty rocky, pretty slow. And I think that had maybe a bit of a, a negative impact on Nuxt. But I think now Nuxt 3 is very stable. And most of the modules that we're used to of Nuxt 2 is now there are community support in Nuxt 3. And I, I think it's kind of exploding again like from from my perspective like nux 3 just seems to be getting really big um or much much bigger than it than it was and it's exciting to watch yeah yeah i think that's the general consensus that um yeah i i remember also also at the start um when they reviewed it um there were a lot of stuff that wasn't there yet so it wasn't like uh, ready to build an application with next three yet but from then on like um i think it's uh yeah like bleeding catch what the the guys are doing and uh really uh, i would even like because i'm also uh, i've also used the next js and um if i have to like use one of them i think that next has some things that I just, uh, yeah, I'm quite quite amazed by them that how they made it so structured and uh, easy, uh, yeah, easy, easy to use. Yeah. So, so what like server side backend languages do you use? Are you like a Node user? Are there other uh, backend technologies that you use for when you do need to write server side code? Um. Yeah, so f- first I started with actually PHP and Laravel, uh, which I actually enjoyed a lot. 
Um, but uh, then I transitioned into my last job, which was uh, C Sharp and .NET. And but mostly for side projects, and also my current job now, um, it's mostly Node, uh, okay. paired up with um, some framework for the API like Nest or Apollo. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned PHP and Laravel because that's my day to day. Yeah. Is I may work on a pretty large, huge application using PHP or Laravel, and then I. Um, I won't beat this one too much to death because everybody knows it if they listen to this regularly. Have you ever used Inertia? Have you ever heard of Inertia.js? Um, I've heard of it, but maybe if you can remind me about it. It's it's really pretty sweet. What it does is it's sort of a glue layer more than anything else. Um, and it was written by a guy named Jonathan Reinick, who now works for Tailwind Labs. And it allows you to plug and play your back end with your front end. So you can use Svelte or Vue or React. And I don't know about Angular if there's an adapter for that. And then you can use whatever backend you want to use. You want to use Ruby, you want to use Node, you want to use Laravel. Uh, uh, and I'm sure there's community adapters for other things if you really wanted to use something like Java or, or whatever. But what it does is it handles the communication between the front and the backend. So it hijacks your post request and just sends it, it stops it and then sends the data behind the scenes. And so in Laravel, since you're familiar with it, you would, in your controller, you would use an inertia library, return inertia, tell it what component, and it sends everything to your front end as props. Um, so for me, it's awesome because it I can use the tools that I'm already familiar with. And it's I have a, an app in, pro, uh, that in production that I've had since May, and it's crazy fast. It's so much faster. Uh, and it's, you know, in my full time, I'm using just the standard REST API from the Laravel backend to communicate that way. But this is so much faster and it's so much easier, right? Um, and gives you a lot of flexibility. So anyway. Nice, uh, nice, yeah. Yeah, I started to get in a node at one point and gave up just because I didn't have the time to really delve into it. And I was focusing more on the PHP anyway. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. That, I, you know, I think the reason a lot of people use Nuxt is uh, one, like you mentioned, it it scaffolds stuff out for you, right? You don't have to go into your view router and define your routes and what components attached to what route and all that kind of stuff. It's just based on your folder structure, which is act, ironically what Inertia does with Laravel. Um, and then, you know, if you really want to do some server-side rendering using your node familiarity and that kind of stuff you can just plug it in and i know in listening to uh, drew baker we haven't had him on for a while but uh, he's a big uh, next user for an agency in los angeles uh the amount of stuff you can do with that back-end processing is really quite amazing you can do some cool stuff nice i'll i'll take a note to look at it so there was one thing you mentioned earlier alex that i'm curious about you said that you were updating these like cell displays yeah, uh, in yeah. real time. Are you were you using something like WebSockets for that solution, or what made it specifically real time? Yeah, basically um, WebSockets. Uh, we like the actual workflow was that um, the scientists plug in the device via USB. And we have a, a service uh, that's running in the background that actually sends this data to us. 
uh, via web sockets and um from then on we can manage and uh yeah update the shaders did you did you write much of that real time code um yeah mostly i was focused on the web portal uh, yeah. but yeah sometimes i had to uh, tinker with it and see see all the messages that we were sending sure sure uh, did you did you ever run into like some sort of limitation with the size of files or something uh, there? Um, yeah, we had a lot of um, like downscaling of images, uh, high and low res images, as well as um, some weird uh, naming conventions that mm -hmm. we had to. Um, specifically name our files in, uh, in and also specific extensions. Uh, but yeah, other than that, um, it was uh, it was pretty smooth, I would say. Cool. Cool. Yeah, this stuff's, uh, I'm always thinking about real time and how to like integrate that into my application as well. And so those are those are it's just a fun problem to solve. Yeah, yeah. We, we were using WebSockets and also just uh, polling as a backup variant, um, and uh, we we were able like to scale it if uh, necessary, and um, we we didn't experience any issues with that. Yeah. So sorry. So. I've read about long polling. And so from my understanding, polling is uh, like the kind of the pattern you use used before WebSockets. And I'm curious if you could explain what that is. Like I, I've looked into it a little bit. Is it just like hitting an endpoint every so many seconds? Or is there more to that? Um, yeah, as uh, far as I know, it's just uh, communicating via HTTP. Um, which is slower because uh, you need to, um, yeah, the, the protocol, uh, you need to actually make the uh, handshake and everything and the, then the connection closes. So that's why obviously when you have the chance, WebSockets is uh, better, um, and faster. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. but. But for to do WebSockets, you kind of need to be in control of the backend, right? Whereas like polling, you can implement that against any endpoint. Or am I understanding that incorrectly? Um, no, I think uh, yeah, it, it doesn't depend. You just need to make an HTTP request that eventually will fetch some data, right? And you need to keep track of um, when to stop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, when do you determine yeah. that? How do you de determine when to stop calling it? I usually it's just some uh, simple check uh, that you're finished loading what you needed to load. Um, and then you just uh, stop calling that endpoint. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess like in the use case that I'm exploring, um, there is like an unknown when, when to stop looking at that data, it could be 20 minutes, it could be an hour and a half. I'm, I'm actually playing with League of Legends uh, eSports data. And so that's kind of like a, 
one of the yeah. the, <laughs> the problems I'm trying to solve with that technique is like uh, you can interact with uh, in-game like match data, but yeah. when that match is going to end, when it starts, you know, like these are all variables that I don't know how to account for programmatically. But it's a fun yeah, problem I think to solve. You can um, either increase the time between each request, or if if there's a possibility, you can use like webhooks to actually know when a certain event is happening. Right, but that they would need to know I exist for that as well. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's not like an officially supported API, so who no. knows? It's uh, kind of hacky. That's why we're here. Yeah, one thing I was looking uh, up recently is uh, authentication. And um, I don't, uh, I know there's some options for view. Um, so I know about uh, Superbase, I know uh, Hanku has an authentication module. Uh, Next Auth, which I think is from Sidebase. Yep. Um, and I think there was also uh, a port uh, made from uh, yeah, Wops Soriano on, on GitHub about for a, for a clerk. Okay. Um, which is, uh, if you don't know, uh, clerk is a really, really popular library for authentication in React. Uh, it's uh, kind of uh, yeah, becoming the go-to. Uh, authentication uh, service. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, and I just saw that I was wondering why there isn't still yet a module for uh, Clerk. So recently I I found a guy who made the client version uh, plugin for Vue. And uh, I just decided to try it out in, uh, in Next. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I managed to, to make it uh, work also with the middleware, uh, both for the API and the routes. So maybe I was thinking uh, soon, maybe I can make some sort of video demonstrating that. Because oh, uh, yeah. it is quite uh, quite popular. Well, yeah. <clears throat> why, why is that? I, I haven't, I have also seen it more often, like recently. And yeah. um, I haven't had, to, I haven't played with it yet. And like I, I tend to pick up uh, Sidebase's Next Auth, which is kind of a wrapper around Next Auth. Yeah. And I mean, it, it seems perfect. What, what is it missing? What does Clerk provide? I think it's uh, maybe a bit uh, uh, subjective, uh, but sure. maybe like what I really liked about Clerk is just the UI uh, as well as the pre-built components. Like uh, and they. They have a, uh, a few cool components like uh, the user button, which actually all the functionality of uh, managing your account, like your uh, profile, first name, last name, uh, avatar, image, and so on. All of that logic, as well as uh, you know the usual uh, two-step verification and passwords and uh, so on, is already handled by, by them. So it makes it like really plug and play to actually uh, use it. So it's more than just uh, API. It's it's they also provide like the UI components, and yeah, it's more, providing... more of a full size solution. 
Are they um, are they storing data on their back end here as well? Um, I'm not or, really sure. Um, I'm curious if they're just kind of making the interaction with these like authentication like services like GitHub or Google like just very easy. You know, it's it's yeah, still yeah. all happening on their end, but um, uh, could be. Um, I haven't. I don't know. Yeah. Because that's always the thing, right? First, you build the auth system, the login portal, and then you have to build, yeah, the user dashboard or, you know, those. Yeah, yeah if you need customization uh, um, beyond what Clerk offers, then probably, yeah, it's good to use um, one of the others because you have, like, more access to, yeah, to the actual APIs. Um so you have more control, but as a, like a fast solution uh, that actually has, you don't need to think about the components and so on. Uh, it's mm-hmm. definitely great. Cool. I'm actually probably going to work towards building Auth in my site like today. So I'm going to, I'll play with this. I'm really happy you mentioned it. Yeah, maybe I can share the link after in the, in the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at the GitHub right now. Um, okay. For example, one problem it solves that I was curious about is, you know, you can log in with GitHub, but then there's this connected accounts section. So you can actually then connect your Google account or, um, you know, Apple, whatever you want. So you can have multiple yeah. OAuth accounts within one. And that's something I've tried to build out myself before. And... I, I didn't succeed. You know, I wasn't really no. sure like how, how they're storing um, some of that information so that you're under one user, but you can interact with both Google's APIs and GitHub APIs um, through one. Yeah, yeah, token. you need, if you're uh, building it uh, on your own, then you need to connect uh, like certain data from both providers. Right. And make sure it's yeah. true. Like this is yeah. the true ID that connects all of these OAuth services. Yeah. Um, so that's a really nice. And they actually the have a lot of providers, like uh, quite quite a few. Also, some like Web three, uh, like MetaMask and so on. Nice. Um, yeah, it's quite cool. Nice, nice. So this is going to be your next YouTube video. Is that what I hear? Um, maybe <laughs> you heard yeah. this first uh, here. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Hey, one thing I'm a little curious about, you know, switching uh, switching topics there a little bit. Hold on, I'm going to play my transition. <laughs> Been playing around with the soundboard today. <laughs> um, you have a blog post on Nux3 and Storyblock. Yes. And that's something I've seen um, various videos or demos on it haven't really played with myself so i guess can you explain the benefit of using storyblock now my understanding is it's basically you can do everything visual in the storyblock editor itself and then that's imported and displayed in your uh, app in this case next is that am i reading that correctly or uh, what how does storyblock why is it so good to use with next let's put it that way yes so storyblock uh First of all, I should say that I am an ambassador for them. Uh, but uh, 
actually what makes them really nice is first of all uh yeah the visual editor is quite nice um but then there's also a lot more stuff going on uh such as um they have a lot of other integrations uh and there's like a whole store of plugins built by yeah community from the community that actually make uh uh, extend the functionality for example if you want to add um, a certain block which is actually where you actually put the content then different types of content then there's different plugins that you can actually drag and drop and um, configure them uh, straight in in story block and then see the results in um, in in your live application so it's really great. Uh, I've been using it uh, a lot for at the start when I was getting into programming uh, and also recently, mainly for just uh, building uh, um, websites for clients which are not technical. So then they can uh, go into Storyblock, log in, um, and then they can publish or save as drafts certain posts. Or like if it's a marketing website, they can change the headline and it uh, makes it really easy. Uh, and it's a great solution both for non-technical persons and also for developers. So is all of your visual components, your colors, your backgrounds, your, <clears throat> excuse me, um, all the, everything visual in Storyblock as compared to say something, I'm thinking of like a, you know, a Prismic or something that's strictly content. You know your text and you know images, and then you've got a display. It's all handled within Storyblock, and then it just somehow through their API, it all gets sent to your application. Um, yeah, like the visual part is uh, definitely a highlight. Um, some people prefer uh, to just have it as in, uh, yeah, as you said, in more like just just the content. Uh, but. Um, also, it's worth um, considering like the um, just the management of people who actually work on on the content of a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great solution to actually um, kind of manage who does what and mm-hmm. basically the whole workflow. And then uh, the different blocks um, I've opened now, like. Um, there's blocks for optimizing image uploads. Uh, there's uh, custom blocks for integrating with def- different services like uh, Google Calendar and uh, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if um, if you need a CMS tool. I've just started. I, there's so many CMSs out there. I'm actually not entirely. Oh. I was working with Strappy. That's the one I was playing with recently. I was just helping my brother build a website for his um, for his company, and that was the very first question he asked me was, you know, when I build this for him, will he be able to configure it and like change the pictures, things of that nature? And I was like, oh, I wasn't planning on that, but now I'm going to play around with the CMS and see if I can, you know, build this out for you. What's that take? I've, I've never actually done that before, and. Um, I was impressed by how how simple it was actually to build out kind of just, you know, everything's almost, you're basically, from my understanding, everything's just kind of HTTP requests behind the 
behind the hood that's um, you know wrapped in these easy to use APIs, um, just like Nux libraries or whatever you might be using. And it it'll it'll just generate all of that for you. And then they just log into a dashboard and configure it. So they're happy. I'm happy. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I'm a firm believer that you need to try multiple CMSs to see like which fits you better. Um, but uh, I think I've also used uh, Contentful and Strapi. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember a lot, but I just remember sticking with Storyblock because yeah. it was uh, it was nice. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I think Strapi was something you had to host yourself. Is, is that not correct? Is it online host? Uh, so they do provide the option to host it yourself. Um, but I think they also offer some sort of cloud service as well. Okay. Um, I'll probably just host it myself yeah. through like a Fly IO instance or something. Because um, yeah, if you're a single diff, I don't think pricing matters uh, that much. But if you're like a mm-hmm. bigger company, then for sure, like it be, plays a bigger part in right. deciding which is uh, better for for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, most places will do like a free developer account. Storyblock does that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one seat so you can play with it. And then they soak you after that. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at Clerk right now. We're just mm-hmm. talking about ClerkSoft system. Yeah, the free and one. You get a, what, 5,000 5, users? 5,000 monthly active users. Jeez. But then after the 1,000, for the 0.2 cents per additional user, um, like it, it goes up real fast, right? So, so this app that I'm building it interacts with Twitch streamers, and so it's not hard to all of a sudden have twenty, thirty thousand users on the site. And I was just trying to like calculate, like, oh man, how much did that cost? And uh, <laughs> yeah, right. That's <laughs> that's that's a difficult uh, pricing structure to work with. Um, but I'll have to. Keep uh, the good thing is that you can always change <laughs> and yeah. build it yourself. <laughs> Like right, right. Uh, at, even for like the startup that we are building, uh, if we exceed that threshold, uh, like it's nice that we have it qu- quite easy to set up at the beginning. And by the time we reach that number of users, we'll probably have the time and capacity to think of uh, something uh, like uh, more affordable and scalable that works for us. Right, mm-hmm. we're we're all writing perfectly abstracted code, so of course, yes. the authentication <laughs> layer is easily you know you swap it out no problem. Yeah, I was gonna say authentication <laughs> has to be one of the easiest problems in web dev. Web dev, that I've yeah. Ever heard of, right? <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. So before we wrap up and move to picks, Alex, is there anything else you want to talk about real quick? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I I just want to thank you uh, for having me. It was really nice. Yeah, Yeah, it's our pleasure for sure. Oh, and before we go, Cody, I'd also like to point out that the metaphors are either under the hood or behind the scenes, but not behind the hood. So, you know, just for future (laughs) reference. Did I say that? You said behind the hood, right? Uh, Oh, wow. Me being uh, the grammar uh, stickler that I am, shall we say. Welcome to the future, Steve. This is this is what all those young kids are saying these days. <laughs> Behind <laughs> <Just> the hood. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember having the saying about in the hood, but that's that's a whole different uh, whole different meaning there, sure. So yeah. <laughs>
All right. So we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we get to talk about uh, whatever we want within reason that doesn't get us in trouble with the FCC or whoever regulates Bobcat <laughs> podcasts. So, uh, Cody, you got anything for us today? I do. Or excuse me. I, do you have anything for us today? I got to use proper grammar. <laughs> yeah, um, I do. I do. I've been uh, playing around with. Um, so, orig- so I don't know if you're familiar with Shad Shad CN. It's a yes. UI component library that's gotten popular in the React world. Oh, I go Shad Fishing. Is that the same thing? No, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what he right. named his account off. So it's uh, it's this like UI component library um, built off of something called Ra- uh, Radix, Radix UI. Um, and it's kind of taken over in the React world. And um, But turns out, open source, it's, there's a there's a guy building it out, uh, Shad and Shad CN view and a Radix view, um, which... I actually haven't looked at the source code, but I imagine are just like nice wrappers around the React uh, component library. Uh, and it, it's it's similar to Beautify in that like it's just like this all-encompassing like UI component library. But what's unique about it is at least for the Shad, Shad CN, I wish I had a better name. Um, <laughs> you, you, you do just like an NPX install command and it will actually download the UI components directly into your project. And so you have all of the view component code uh, right there. So, so you can easily tinker the UI. It's all The UI is all built in Tailwind CSS and it's all just right there. Like there's no, there's no magic taking place. You literally just have the component. Um, and I've, I've been really enjoying that in my, in my free time. So I've been, uh, yeah, looking around at different Tailwind component libraries, you know, just to plug in with uh, that product that I have, just because it was just basic stuff that came out of the the Inertia demo app, and actually it worked pretty well, to be honest. But the Daisy UI is one that I've looked at quite a bit. That's sort of basic, um, and a coworker of mine uses that on his project. So uh, this would be interesting, and definitely have to look at that. Uh, let's see play around with it. I found the uh, the view post. You, uh, excuse me, but it's shadcn-view under radix-view okay. on GitHub. Yep. So we'll put, the, uh, we'll put link in the show notes for anybody that wants to take a look at, at uh, that. That's awesome. It's amazing to me, you know, I've sort of drank in the, the tailwind, uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Thank you. The tailwind yeah. Kool-Aid for a few years. And and have really gotten used to it, liking it. And if you just do some searching on Tailwind component libraries or Tailwind, but there's a ton of stuff yep. out there that's all built on on Tailwind. Yeah, and that's what uh, I was thinking that like Shadzian right now is uh, taking over React quite fast. And I think for Vue, we have, of course, a lot of uh, UI libraries, but we don't have like a single a straightforward option like okay you go with this one usually um but it's nice that we have a lot of open source contributors working i think even for uh, the shatsian port to view i think there's like uh, two different uh, contributors working on extending radix ui to to view so that's always uh 
that's also the other idea for a video to analyze all of them. Yeah. Oh, to that's... look at all the different Tailwind component libraries? Yeah, I'm, as is oh. the most popular ones. Yeah, there's a number of different blog posts out there. I was looking around last night and LogRocket had one. They have a lot of good view content, actually. Um, and uh, I've seen a number of ones. So there's a number of review sites and you start looking around and, you know, at all the different reviews and they all tend to have different ones in different positions, but you start to see a few ones sort of float to the top uh, after a while. But anyway, sorry to, to get off on a rabbit trail there, Cody. Hey, no problem. Um but yeah, that, that that's all I got today. That's um, what I what I'll be playing around with. Okay, so I will go next, and we will uh, get to the highlight of every uh, podcast that I do: the dad jokes of the week. Uh, for what it's worth, I have multiple sources of dad joke content. I cannot claim to have ever written any bad any dad jokes. Um, just to to clarify that, because I've been asked that by people who are amazed at the high quality content I put out. And uh, so anyway, so I called uh, my local dairy the other day and told them I wanted to get some milk uh, so I could take a milk bath in it because it's supposed to be really good for your skin, right? And they said, oh, okay, great. Do you want it pasteurized? I said, no, just up to my neck. Uh, and then we were talking about uh, uh, videos and and we've had other people on that have written books. So I decided to write a book on reverse, psycho reverse psychology. Please don't buy it. And then last but not least, um, do you know, you know, I don't know if anybody's seen the movie Aquaman or at least remembers, you know, knows the, the, the character. Do you know what Aquaman's Twitter or rather, should we say X handle is? It's Atlantis, right? Cody nice. had the confused look there. I think he. No, I didn't it. get that one. Dude. At at sign Lantis. Uh, <laughs> sort of loses something when you got to explain it. <laughs> it he was thinking about uh, Twitter being X. Right. Just the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thanks, dude. Okay. Let's put a smile on my face. Alex, what do you have for us for picks? Um, I have, uh, let me think. I need I something on my soundboard here with the Jeopardy theme. Web scraping is kind of between legal and illegal. The, the, I, it, like the, that, that idea, that concept, the gray zone. The gray zone. Yeah. 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 My from my understanding, it's everything that doesn't require a login is legal, right? But once you log in, you you accept their terms, and um, then 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 you're breaking the rules. If they is that something you. you're doing quite a bit these days, Alex? Are you being a script kitty again, or? <laughs> um, depends. You haven't heard it from me. Uh, but uh, I can say that uh, LinkedIn is a pretty hard website to scrape. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, it seemed to me that 
I mean, web scraping could be hard because basically you've got a whole bunch of HTML and you probably don't want, you got to filter out all the garbage, you know, or the HTML tags or, you know, just to get your content. Um, I'll date myself a little bit here and tell you that when I first got in, when it, talking about scraping, um, when I first got into IT, this was, I was working with banking systems and their mainframe uh, computers where they stored all of their data and, and we were writing programs to communicate between PCs and mainframes. And when I first came in, we were still using DOS APIs uh, for anybody who doesn't know that's disk operating system. And through a terminal emulator to a mainframe system. And we that's how we communicated with screen scraping. And so we would have uh, configuration files within our application that uh, had specific text and the location that it could be found out. So you'd navigate to a screen and you'd scan through, okay, is this text at this place? Okay, so I found it, that's this screen. And then you would write information to specifically mapped pixel locations or character locations, row and column locations on the screen. And then you would send a transmit it and go to the next screen. You say, okay, which screen is this? Okay, it's this one. Now, right. So your mapping had to be spot on. If you were literally off one character, you could totally blow your application because you couldn't identify. And so when the vendors would update their screens, they would change things and things would break and loads of fun. So to me, that's my memories of screen scraping is uh, mainframe systems with green screens and and uh, terminal emulators and their APIs back to the DOS days. So anyway, enough about my age. <laughs> I mean, uh, from my understanding, things do still definitely break. Um, and that is one thing websites will do is like uh, change their HTML or the, the IDs are always random, the, the CSS classes. However you're trying to select these HTML elements, they, they try to obfuscate. Obfuscate as much as possible. Yeah, they try to do that behind the hood, I think. Behind the, yeah, man. And yeah, so, uh, but I'm curious, why not just use the LinkedIn API? Why why does your friend Um, want to scrape LinkedIn? Yeah, so LinkedIn API um, is um, technically mostly used for logins. But other than that, it's basically non-existent. Like, um, maybe you can scrape what they give you, but not it. Right. Interesting. All righty. So with that, we will wrap it up. Um, We have talked a little about your YouTube channel. I'm just looking under Alexander Gekov. That's Alex with an X. Right. G-E-K-O-V. And then your blog is alexandergekov.com. Very Hard name to remember, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, nice to have your name. I tried looking at my name one time and it was like, uh, yeah, sorry. Somebody's already taken that because I have such a unique and different name, of course. <laughs> uh, anywhere else, use uh, Twitter slash X or uh, GitHub, anywhere else that people can see your work? Um, yeah, Twitter. And from there on, they can find everything else. And what's Just your Twitter handle? Same. It's um, Alexander Gekov with an X. All right. And we will put that in the yeah. show notes for sure. All righty. Well, thank you for coming on, Alex. It's uh, been a pleasure having you and talking about uh, you and Next. And I learned a whole bunch of stuff here about Shad and Clerk and uh, other four and five letter words. So 
Very good. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Thank, thank you for the invitation and for having me. Yeah. Our pleasure. All right. Oh, and before I forget, I'm sorry, people. I forgot to introduce you. We always forget the studio audience. So I'd like to say goodbye to the studio audience that was here. <laughs> you just didn't hear him. Yes, if you want uh, tickets for our shows, just contact me on Twitter at Wonder95. Thank you. All right. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>